Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. That you would humble yourself to come to this earth in the form of a man, setting aside all your godly privileges and at the same time even further humiliate yourself by going to the cross for us. The chosen one would be marred in order to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Children, sixth grade and below, you are dismissed to go downstairs to your time of study. <coughs> Everyone else, please turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. <coughs> Every year since fullness has been in existence, we've started the first 21 days of January with a time of fasting and prayer. Uh, We are in that season now, and I pray that you and your family are participating with us in this time of prayer and fasting. We've given you a prayer guide so that you can pray every day. It looks like... uh, cover of it looks similar to the slide that's in front of you. If not, and you didn't get a prayer guide, but you like the emails, hopefully you're getting those as well if you're part of fullness. I personally like those because they're with me all the time. I can continue to pray throughout the day for that day's prayer request and the scripture reading link and Elizabeth and the others have done a great job in pulling that together. Really, the the most important part is that we, we believe that that God is calling us to greater and greater and greater things. And I believe, we believe as a congregation, that that is going to be thrust forward, as it were, because of prayer. And so we're asking all of you, if you're a part of Fullness Christian Fellowship, I I hate to say this isn't optional, but I I don't really know how else to put it. We expect that you, as a member of this body, participate with us in this time of prayer. This is not a legalistic thing, but it is saying, look, we are a family of faith, and we're in this together, so join us in praying. Um, We believe in prayer, right? Right? I mean, we are people who believe in prayer, and the only way to really access what God wants us to do is by launching out in prayer. So join us in prayer. The power of agreement is incredibly, incredibly powerful. We combine that with the time of fasting. Now, I know that fasting is not a 21st century discipline that people love. I don't think it was a first century discipline that people loved, Uh, but it is a time of voluntarily denying ourselves something in order to seek after God. Now, you may not be fasting from food for 21 days. I don't necessarily encourage that unless God is really leading you to. But you can give up a meal a week, and during that time, pray. You can give up um, other items of food, like sweets or specific types of food. Some of us, we really need to give up sweets anyway, so it's kind of a combination factor right now uh, coming out of Christmas. Give up sweets, uh, television, media, just giving, voluntarily giving up something in order to seek after God. So I, I want to really encourage you to, to do that. The theme of this time of prayer and fasting, as you see on the slide, has to do with love. Receiving God's love, experiencing God's love, sharing God's love with the world, the world around us. And over the weeks ahead, over the next couple of weeks, I want to preach the scripture passages that are the theme verses for that particular week. Uh, it's it, it's great because this week's verse, or section of verses, Ephesians 3, 14 and following, are actually the theme verses for our church. So it kind of combines the beginning of the new year, the love of God, the love of Christ, with who we are as a church experiencing, experiencing the fullness of God. 1984... Um, In politics was an interesting time for those of you who are alive. Many of you weren't even on the earth at that point. But in 1984, Ronald Reagan was running for his second term as president of the United States, an incredible communicator, Ronald Reagan. 
Uh, at the same time, the Democrats were trying to throw somebody at, um, at Reagan to, um, to, knock him, to knock him down, and uh, the best they came up with was Walter Mondale, uh, I think in 84. I think that's right. He was running in 84. What I remember about 84 was not Walter Mondale, but at the Democratic National Convention, a speech given by the then governor of New York, Mario Cuomo. One of the greatest articulations of liberal thought and a speech given, if you want to see an incredible speech of communication, I mean, I'm politically, that's not my bent, but I was moved by it. I mean, it, it overshadowed, really, the guy who was going to be the presidential nominee at the time for the Democrats. Uh, Mario Cuomo died this past week on January 1st. Uh, he was, had been the three-term governor of New York, and again, one of, the, one of the great communicators of this past generation. I read uh, in his obituary in the New York Times um, that his greatest regret was the inability to solidify his legacy. Now, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but um, politicians, after they leave office, many times what they want to be remembered for for is leaving some sort of legacy behind. I guess that's what really everybody wants in some sense to be remembered for, leaving a legacy. And Cuomo said um, his, in his obituary, it said this about him, always given to self-doubt and second-guessing, Mr. Cuomo said that if he had any regrets about his governorship, it was that he had never identified himself with a large initiative that might have been his legacy. The idea that he didn't pick one thing and articulate it over and over and over and over again so that he might be remembered for that thing. When Jesus was talking to his followers, his disciples, he said to them, I've not called you to come and bear just any kind of fruit. I have called you that you might come and bear fruit, fruit that will last. In, order, in other words, we are called as a church, as a people, the followers of Jesus Christ, to be a fruit-bearing people. Correct? Are you with me? Fruit that is not temporary, but fruit that is permanent. A fruit that will, a fruit that will last. Now, we could identify many types of fruit, so to speak. I think eventually Jesus is talking about the fruit that comes from other people coming to know Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the fruit that's going to last are the souls, the the people that come to Jesus Christ as a result of the ministry of his people, us. We're called to be a fruit-bearing people. And to do that, I would contend also that, that this passage today will speak to us how do we accomplish that. In other words, many people think that we need to be a fruit-bearing people, and as a result, what we need to do is learn some new technique of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm not totally against techniques. I think they can be helpful. They can help us. They're, they're a hanger upon which we can put some things. But ultimately, ultimately, there's got to be some sort of undergirding to it. Otherwise, it won't be a, a fruit, a fruit that will last. Ironically, the idea of reproducing ourselves in a legacy is what we're all about. The day Cuomo died, his son, two hours later, was sworn in for his second term as governor of New York. I, I find that the legacy. Now, it may not be a great legacy, but the idea that children, fruit are be, is being born, to me, is the ultimate legacy. And I believe that that's our call as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to bring sons and daughters into the family business of father and sons 
that we're called to as the church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to do it, I believe, in love. Ephesians 3, verse 14, says this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, obviously, when you jump into the middle of a book, and, and I will try not to teach the entire book of Ephesians in a short period of time, but when he says, for this reason, he has evidently articulated some things before this statement that make for this reason important. You, are you with me? Hello? Come on. I know it's a new year, but just hang in there. We're gonna, it's going to be really good, I promise you. For this reason. So in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, he's talked about we're alive in Jesus Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But by the grace of God, you've been made alive. And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open so that you can know who you are, the hope to which he has called you, the incomparably great power that is available to those of us who believe. I mean, he's prayed some great things. He says, you've been amazed, made alive in Christ. You have the power of God at work within you. Then in chapter 2, he gets to this incredible miracle that, that no one, this mystery that no one saw coming, that Jesus Christ unveiled. And that was that Jew and Gentile, everybody, male, female, Everybody from every socioeconomic background, gender, can be made alive in Christ and have a relationship with God. And Paul is overwhelmed by this truth. He's overwhelmed by the truth that we can all be made alive, not just one small group of people. And then he says, when we're brought together, the people of God, we're like this incredible jewel that God holds up to the glory of his light, The church, for this reason, the church, the multifaceted church, shines forth the light of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And Paul is so overwhelmed that when he gets to this point in chapter 3, he just breaks down in prayer. For this reason, I kneel. The, The idea that we've been made alive, we have the power of God, that we're this jewel. I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. And now he wants to pray for this people, this church, this family. What does he pray for? He says, I'm going to pray that the power of the Holy Spirit, you know it and be filled with it. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's going to pray that the love of Jesus Christ would overwhelm us. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I'm praying, Paul says, that you be filled to the power. You would know the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells you. And I pray that you would know the love of Jesus Christ that's beyond knowing. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Know something that's beyond knowing. Well, know it how? Well, not know it in your head, because it's beyond knowing, head-wise. But know it relationally. Know it in your heart, that you would experience the love of Jesus Christ inside of you, and that you'd be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. These three statements, the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God, are really theme statements for us as a church. It is our desire that when anybody comes in off the street, uh, they come to a church service, they come to a youth meeting, they come to a small group, they come to uh, an outreach event, what they would encounter is the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ, and the fullness of God. Amen? That's our, that is our vision as a church. That is, that's our reason for being. That's what we're here for. That people would encounter that whenever they encounter any person or any group from Fullness Christian Fellowship. But not only that, that they would then experience that for themselves. They would not just encounter the power of the Spirit, the love of Christ, the fullness of God, but they would know it. 
they would come into it as a result of us loving them well and sharing our faith well. And then from there that this would expand. Paul's prayer is that this doesn't stay cooped up within a small group of people, but he's going to pray that uh, this just explodes, that it goes from there. And it is our desire to see that happen. And I believe, I, I am incredibly optimistic about the days ahead. I believe this is like the ninth inning with the bases loaded kind of thing, where you're on the edge of your seat just waiting for what's going to happen next. I believe that's where we stand as a church. And I believe we're going to get there from here to there through the power of prayer. I believe as we fast, as we pray, as we seek after God, that we're going to accomplish the things that God has given us us to accomplish. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I mean, I don't know numerically or facility-wise or any of all of that stuff what it's going to look like, but I know that when we move into that destiny to which God has called us to a greater extent that we will know it, and it'll be something different. We stand at that precipice, and I believe that we're going to get there, that we are moving there. We've been there in some extent. I don't want it to sound like these are things that are just kind of esoteric ideas that we've never accomplished. I believe in a large extent we've done what God has called us to do, but he's calling us to even more. How are we going to get from here to there? How are we going to move forward Well, that's really the passage. I want to preach this passage and give you four points on how I believe we're going to keep moving forward. So, here we go. First thing is this. And, oh, by the way, and then he prays. He closes with the prayer in Ephesians 3. I'm going to look at this more in the future. He closes with the benediction that I speak over us every week. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is work within us, To him be glory, and this is an important phrase, in the church, us, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, let's look at these four ways we're going to move forward. The first thing is this. Examine your attitude. Examine your attitude. The concepts of love and unity that Paul is speaking of here I think have this undergirding which says, this is not about you. This is not about you. And, I, you know, I have a really hard time getting over me. Uh, I don't know if you have a hard time getting over me or not. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you may, but the idea is this. Most of us are so egocentric, so self-centered that we have real problems breaking outside of us. Uh, we, we believe that I am here and the universe revolves around me. And as long as I am content or I am happy, then things are, things are good because the universe and all the planets are in alignment because everything is at my beck and call. Um, I think the Bible has a word for that. I think it's called sin. Um, This self-centered attitude that says the world is all about me is what got us in all this problem in the first place. Because the devil has just an open door to just come into your life and to wreak havoc when we we develop a self-centered kind of idea. And listen, the church is is not absent of this idea. As a matter of fact, we've We've made churches so that they're egocentric and self-centered and people are kept happy. Because if people are kept happy, what's going to happen? They're going to come to church. They're going to give more money. They're going to stay around. You're not going to insult them. You're not going to challenge them. You're just going to keep them happy. And eventually, they'll be like that 
that Disney movie where people never get out of their chairs. They're just fat and they float around in those chairs all the time. What was that movie? Well, yeah, where, you know, they're just, that's what humanity becomes. They're just fat and they float around in chairs. And that's really what a lot of our churches are all about. And then if they don't like the church they're in, they just take their fat chair and they float over to another place. I, I believe the Bible teaches a whole different picture. Each of you should, not own, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be what? This is a high calling. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God but didn't regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but did what? Emptied himself humbled himself, humiliated himself, and went to the cross. So when Paul says, don't look out for just your interest, that's his nice way of saying, get over yourself, and instead, be like Jesus. Have an attitude that says, this is, how do I minister life to other people? He says in Galatians 5, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He's not speaking to the world here. He is speaking to the church. He's speaking to the people of God. You people are at your, your, I'm not talking about you. This is Paul saying to the Galatians, you're devouring each other. Why? Because you're cannibalistic. You're you're looking out only for for your own interest. The psalmist puts it in a different way. He says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Paul in Ephesians 4, the next chapter, says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure. And here's that word again that we're based on, the fullness of Christ. Our goal Unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Reaching unity in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. Become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We, We are being called to love. In all of these passages, the underlying truth is not about what we get, but what we've gotten in order that we get to give it away. And it is the love of God. Our attitudes will change when we really experience the love of God and we choose to both experience it and walk it out. Your attitude, your perspective changes everything. Everything. You can view the exact same situation, but if you don't experience experience it, uh, if you don't view it, let me back up, if you don't view it out of a position of love and grace, you'll view it out of a critical spirit and what can be fixed about it. Let me give you an example. Um, When Kathy and I got married ages ago, 20 odd years ago, 26 years ago, we went on our honeymoon to the Dominican Republic. It was one of those all-inclusive kind of resorts. Uh, It was really great. I mean, a beautiful location. Um, But if you've ever been to, like, the Dominican Republic, I mean, it's not like at times, especially 26 years ago, it wasn't like going to the Hilton, this cabana that was our room for a week uh, was, you know, 100 yards from the beach, but it didn't even have air conditioning. You know, what place doesn't have air conditioning, right? On the beach, in the Caribbean. I mean, it had ceiling fans and stuff. Now, um, I mean, it was a beautiful location, but as soon as I walked into the whole place, I was like, wow, this wasn't exactly what I was expecting. And my, my heart went to my wife, which was like, wow, I wonder what she's going to think. Is she going to be happy about this place I've chosen? Is it, going to, is it going to be a discouragement to her? Is this going to be a fun week? Is this not going to be? I mean, 
people, it's my honeymoon, so I'm hoping she's happy. You know what I mean? So Kathy, I believe because of her love for me, expressed nothing but joy about the place. This is awesome. This place is awesome. I love this place. Now, I've never really talked to her much about, did you really love that place? (laughs) But I think she loved it because she loved me. And her perspective of that place made our entire time there incredible. Do, Do you get the point? Listen, you can view something, but if you view it without the prism of love, I contend that eventually you'll develop a critical spirit. And all of us, the easiest thing is to find something wrong with something. I mean, we're, we, are, we are some of the dang most brilliant critics, all of us in and of ourselves. It takes nothing to find something wrong with something. But, what it, but when you start to view through things through the prism of love, the, the wrongness of things kind of fades away and, and the joy of it starts to come through. I believe that if we're going to get from where we are to where God wants us to be, that the prism of love has to be the, the lenses through which we view fullness, God's plan, God's purpose, our relationship with one another. And when we do, that we'll be overwhelmed by joy. Paul prays this in Ephesians 3.18, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in what? Here's the key. If you are rooted and established in anything other than love, you'll not get to where God wants you to be. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how uh, long you've been in the church. You know, you can be rooted and established in tradition. You can be rooted and established in brilliance. You can be rooted and established in education. You can be rooted and established in theology. But if you're not rooted and established in love, if we're not, We'll view things in, the, in a wrong way. I'll go so far as this. I know I'm getting a little bold today, but uh, just hang with me. I would say that your basic attitudinal problem is a love issue. If you have an attitude problem, then the bottom line is it's a love issue. I mean, I could expand it. We'll talk about the family in February. But if you have an attitude problem with your spouse, you've got a love problem. We'll come back to that in February. Let's stay with this right now to examine your attitude. Have this attitude, which is also in Christ Jesus. Second point is this. And this is, can be a little controversial in a certain light, but I'm going to say it anyway. Pursue excellence. Pursue excellence. Paul prays that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We have been filled, have been filled with the spirit of God. Amen? We contend that at fullness all the time. It's part of who we are, the love of Jesus Christ, and we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. My contention would be this. I, I I think at times the church, and maybe even us particularly, we fall in the trap of thinking that I don't really have to do anything, that it's just the Spirit of God that is in me that's going to do it or not do it. And so we develop this apathetic attitude that says, you know, it's not really about me, it's really about the Spirit of God that's in me that's going to do it. Now, I would Again, this is, um, I'm, going, I'm going to keep going forward because I think that's the only way through where we are. I, I would say that that is just a, a 21st century version of Gnosticism. Gnosticism div- divided the spirit and the flesh and said, you know what? Flesh is bad, spirit is good, so we're going to keep those divided. My flesh can do anything because it's already bad anyway. There's nothing good of it. Everything spiritual is good. You can't touch my spirit, man. 
I, I believe the Bible teaches a holistic view of us, that we are filled with the power of the Spirit of God. Therefore, we participate with God's power and Spirit in order to do what He's called us to do. And to do that, we have to recognize that we have the perfect empowerment of God that indwells us. Therefore, Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it in a halfway manner. Just get by. Just let it drop and let the Spirit of God do it. No, do it with all of your might. Because, I'm combining some verses, but I think they go together. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for men. Now, I, I say this point is a little controversial because excellence, pursuing excellence in and of itself can become an idol, right? I mean, if I'm just trying to be excellent in stuff, trying to do excellent stuff, perfect stuff, that can become my idol. But I believe God expects us to give of our very best. It's part of being a steward of his that we're called to do it. We're to become like Christ, to change the way we are to the way he is. So, uh, Galatians 3, 27 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. I, I have to believe, and I do believe, that Jesus did things to the fullest of his ability. You see, excellence to me is not doing something that you're not able to do, but it's giving of yourself fully to God's plan and purpose for your life by the power of the Spirit that indwells you. He says, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, in love, as each does its what? There's this combination here. Love, giving of yourself. I've experienced the love of God. Now I'm going to give myself. I'm going to do my part. Whatever my part is, I'm going to do it. You know, I, I, I feel like I have to preach both sides of this in a way because I understand that many of us fall in the trap of perfectionism, thinking I have to be perfect, that you know, pursuing excellence for some people is not a problem. What's a problem is they're trying to be perfect. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about giving yourself to the glory, to the glory of God, to his purpose, his plan being accomplished in our lives. In thinking about the balance, I feel like the church has fallen into one of two ditches many times. One of the ditches is, look, we're going to do things big and beautiful, but without the power of God or the love of Christ. We're just going to work with our hands and do something big and beautiful with the, without God's love or his power really at work, because we can build our own tower, right? We can build a tower of Babel to the heavens of our own strength and might. That's a ditch we want to avoid. Amen. I mean, we don't want to do that. That's not who we are. But as a reaction to that sometimes, we've fallen into, for lack of a better term, just a poverty spirit where we say we can't do any, you know. You know, sometimes our reaction to the prosperity doctrine is poverty. And that is not where God has called us. There's, there's truth in who we are in Jesus. We have the power of the Spirit indwelling us. Now, we're going to participate. We're going to be rooted and established in love, but in doing so, we're going, to, we're going to step out in his might and in his power to accomplish what he has called us to accomplish. If you have questions on that, you can see me later. Point three is this. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Jesus gave all of himself for us, and we're to offer ourselves to God. 
um, I, I think this is, is fairly clear, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Luke 9, he says, Then he says to them, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Galatians 2.20. I'm just giving you some verses. You can write these down. I'm going to summarize them here in just a minute. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's the idea. Have this attitude. Check your attitude. Examine your attitude. The love of God. Give of yourself fully and live a sacrificial life. Now, the reason I'm saying look to the cross is because that is our example. Look look to the cross. What Jesus Christ did for us when he had that attitude... When he laid everything aside, he had to do something, and he came to this earth. He then humiliated himself further by going to the cross, a sacrificial life. We live in an age where sacrifice is very seldom really brought home. Really, we're, we're, we live in an age where I started to just tape commercials from, um, oh, who was the football team that played the other night? Oh, it was Alabama. Um, but... Um, I started to tape just commercials from the game and just bring them and to show everything you watch, whether you even know it or not, is appealing to your I gotta get it. There are no commercials that say, give it away. Give your life away. But that is the call of God. As a result of this get it attitude, our pursuit is not for love, but is for stuff. I mean, you see how we're going the wrong way here? And it's, and it's affecting our attitudes, and we are all infected with it. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're all infected. The only way we can battle against it is to, is to as Paul prays in Ephesians, that we would experience this love, the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, the fullness of God. It's the only way to break it off of us. What happens when this occurs? I'm going to give you a scripture passage because it's going to translate into this. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? I'm going to kind of push forward because I know our time is starting. But the the feeding of the 5,000? Every, we've got 5,000 people here, Jesus. People are hungry. Send them home. And Jesus says, go find, see how much food we got. So Jesus goes out, they come back, and they say, hey, there's a boy here, and he's got some loaves and some fishes, but it ain't, it's not going to feed me, much less them. It won't, it won't handle this little boy, much less everybody else. And Jesus says, hey, bring this stuff here. Ask the boy if he'll give it. I mean, there's, they can't just seize it from him, Right? They have to at some point say, "You're going to." Is it, would you give it to Jesus? He takes his loaves, his fishes. Jesus blesses them, breaks them, and feeds everybody to their full. To me, this is a picture of exactly what I, I, I'm trying to hopefully portray to each of us. There's this attitude where this boy, the, the disciples don't see it. They're like, "Send him home. Every every man for himself here." Uh, every woman for themselves. The boy, though, he has these loaves and fishes, and he's willing to give it, sacrifice it. And here's, here's the point that I, I, I want us to see. When we offer to Jesus, we need to understand that our limited resources, when given to him, become limitless in his hands. As long as you hang on to him in a white-knuckled fashion, whatever it may be that God is saying to you, let go of, it will remain limited. But when you let go of it and give it to God, it becomes limitless. I believe 
that God wants us to live an unlimited life, a powerful life. But to do that, we have to, out of our attitude of love, pursuing what he's told us to pursue, sacrificially, when that occurs, then things become limitless. But honestly, most of us stand back and say, God, I just want to live a limitless life. I want to live a limitless life. I don't want to do anything to get it. I just want you to bless me with a limitless life. The truth of God's economy is that in his hands, things become limitless. But to get in his hands, they got to move out of mine. I have, to, I have to be willing to let go of them. Now, I've got some passages. I'm going to cruise through these. But the reason things can become limitless in God's hands is because he is able. Things that you can't do, he can do. He will change our weak mortal bodies, make them like his own glorious body, using that power by which he is able to bring all things under his rule. You're limited because you've got a weak mortal body. Your body is in the process of decaying. I don't care if you made a New Year's resolution to get in shape. Even so, eventually your body is beginning to decay. It's weak. It's mortal. But God is able to change it because he's not limited by those things. Second Corinthians, it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Well, that about covers it, doesn't it? I can get all things, all the time. I can abound in every good work. How? By giving it to God, because he is the one who is able. Then this passage in Ephesians 3, now to him who is able, he's able. That's the point here, people. God is able. You are not. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. God knows no limits. God is limitless. Therefore, he is able to empower us in a limitless way. Again, passages you can go and read later. Jeremiah. I'm sorry, I'm getting... Here we go. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Am I only a God nearby and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do not I fill heaven and earth? What limits God? Well, it's not space. He fills heavens and earth. It's not knowledge. It says in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. There's no limits of his space. There's no limits of his knowledge. There's no limit in his power. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I would contend this. The only thing that limits God is the level of our expectation. Our limited expectation of what God will do. And another thing that limits God is our unwillingness to let go of stuff in order that it can become great in his hands. What if the boy had said, no, you know, these fishes and loaves are mine. If I give them to you, what am I going to eat? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to me if I give you my food? The miracle was enabled by a boy who was willing to give up. Suddenly, things become limitless. I believe God is calling us to great things in the day ahead. But for that to happen, just to be blunt, all of us, we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to adjust our attitude. We Start by examining it. What? God, show me. Search my heart. Examine me. See if there's any wicked thing in me. You'll be amazed what God will show you, if you'll allow him, about your heart. Have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus. Pursue the plan. When I say excellence, I mean the plan that God has for you. Give yourself fully to it.
Look to the cross. Live a sacrificial life. Let go of stuff. You know, one of the things we're praying about is the building stuff. Um, that God would meet our need and take care of some things here. And, and to do that, we have to give sacrificially. That's just one example. I'm not trying to be self-serving for the building, but just to say, we don't even know what it means to live a sacrificial life. Most of us give out of the excess, not out of enough that it really stings. That's what a sacrificial life is about. For most of us, it doesn't really have to do with our money living a sacrificial life. For many of us, it has to do with our time and our emotions and our I don't want nobody in my space. You know, I like to just be at home by myself. Now I'm just talking about me. You have different things. Know that your limited resources are limitless in God's plan and in his hands. Be faithful in the little things. Be faithful in everything. Offer everything you have to God. You know, some of, some of us are sitting here thinking, well, if I give a big thing to God, maybe that'll matter. Well, it might matter, but maybe God's not talking about the big things. I was talking to one of my children just recently, and we were talking about decisions and making decisions. And I, I said to them, you know, the, the, the quality and the destiny of your life I don't believe is going to be determined by making the big decisions right. It's by making the little decisions built on each other right. It's little decisions made every day in, because many times we say, ah, I just did a little decision. It doesn't really matter. No, I believe little decisions built upon themselves make a big decision and determine the course of your life. Let every decision be done to the glory of God. Give everything to him. And as we do, we'll see him move in might and in power. Is that the desire for your life, for your family, for your church? I pray it is. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have a ministry time. And it's going to be somewhat similar to what we do, but then different at the same time. I'm asking you in this moment, if you need prayer for healing or direction or freedom for burdens, we're going to have ministry teams that will be spread across the front to receive prayer. But it may be that you just say, God, I need you to examine my heart and my life. Let's begin with point one. God, examine my attitude. Show me where I am. Because I want to get to the place where things are limitless and being done. But let me start here. Show me, God, what I need to change in my attitude so that I'll, I'll experience and express the love of Jesus Christ. Adrian, come. And Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We glory in you. Spirit of God, move on us right now. I believe that this will be a very, 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 very significant time for individuals within this body and for us as a whole to see your purposes and your plan accomplished here. But not just here. It's our desire to see the kingdom of God expanding all around us. So, Lord, we do pray your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. But at this moment in history, on January 4th, 2015, I pray that, Spirit of God, your presence would fill this room. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit of God, search me. Know me. Show me the state of my heart. Show us the state of our hearts. See if there is any wicked way in us. Show us where we may not be firmly established and rooted in love. And Lord, I pray that everything else that may have rooted itself in my heart and my life, that Lord, it would be taken away right now. May those weeds be pulled up and removed and made, the love of Jesus Christ just be sown completely into my heart and life today. So come, Holy Spirit. Do your work in our hearts and our lives. God, we want to get to a place of limitless living. But begin here. 
May the eyes of our heart be enlightened so that we can know who we really are. Come, Holy Spirit. Just in a spirit of prayer, ministry teams, come to the front. If you need somebody to pray with you for direction, healing, maybe to experience the love of Jesus Christ in a greater way, come and let one of these teams pray for you. It may be that you just want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you just want to kneel where you are. Maybe you just want to sit where you are. I don't know that your position matters as much. Just be obedient to God as he directs you in prayer to talk to you, to speak to you about your heart and your life. As we begin this new year, just ask the Spirit of God to really shine His light into the depths of your heart right now. If you need prayer, come to one of these teams. Otherwise, pray where you are, come kneel at the front, do what you feel like God is directing you to do. Sake of no- 